This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Well, the confirmation hearings for Joe Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, have begun today, and Republicans have asked incredibly meaningful and substantive questions. They've acted respectful, and everything has largely gone along quite smoothly. I'm obviously kidding. Um, Republicans have already made fools of themselves. They're acting like imbeciles and they're asking the dumbest questions imaginable. And this is day one. Uh, so, for example, Marsha Blackburn is asking her about critical race theory because, of course. Uh, but take a look at how she asks this question. You have praised the 1619 Project, which argues the U.S. is a fundamentally racist country. And you have made clear that you believe judges must consider critical race theory when deciding how to sentence criminal defendants. Is it your personal hidden agenda to incorporate critical race theory into our legal system? These are answers that the American people need to know. Questions, Marsha. These are questions the American people need answers to. And we don't, actually, because that's not a real question. That's not what you ask somebody who's a nominee to be on the Supreme Court. That's that's stupid. Um, and if she had a hidden agenda, would it be hidden if she actually told you about this while it's being broadcasted? I mean, why would she reveal that she had a, had a hidden agenda if she actually had a hidden agenda? Are you stupid? I mean, I feel like if I were Katanji Brown-Jackson, it would be very difficult to bite my tongue. I get that this is par for the course for Republicans. They're going to ask idiotic questions. But I feel like one of these days, one of these nominees is just going to ask, are you stupid? Are you fucking stupid? Are you really asking me this question? If I have a hidden agenda for CRT, how's that going to work if I'm a Supreme Court justice? Am I going to force my colleagues on the Supreme Court to interpret the Constitution exactly as I do? Am I going to force them to view the law through the lens of critical race theory? Is that really what you're asking me, Senator? I mean, I, at some point, they're going to snap. Somebody's got to snap. Um... I just, wow, they're so, they're so stupid. Republicans are incredibly stupid. Their brains are just smooth. If you sawed open Marsha Blackburn's skull, it would be as smooth as butter. It's just, it's unbelievable. Now, um, Lindsey Graham decided to chime in and make it very, very clear that he is not racist. Why would he bring this up? Well, in case... Democrats invoke identity politics and accuse him or Republicans of being racist for asking questions that are too tough. He's just making it clear, folks. He's not racist. He, he didn't make the cut. Well-lived life just completely ruined. So if you're Hispanic or African-American conservative, it's about your philosophy. Now it's going to be about the historic nature of the pick. Now it's going to be about your philosophy. The bottom line here is when it is about philosophy, when it's somebody of color on our side, it's about we're all racist if we ask hard questions. It's not going to fly with us. We're used to it by now, at least I am. So it's not going to matter a bit to any of us. We're going to ask you what we think you need to be asked. And Senator Hawley, 
you need to ask her about her record as a uh, district court judge. You should. I hope you do. And we'll see what she says. Very fair game. Okay. Nobody asked, but okay. Thank you. Um, are you really going to ask her questions about her judicial philosophy? Are you seriously considering voting for Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson? Is that is that really the case, Lindsey Graham? Nobody believes you. Why even pretend? Why grandstand about how not racist you are when we know you're not seriously considering voting for her? And if this isn't about identity politics or racism, just fucking ask her questions about her judicial philosophy. They are incapable of acting like adults for just five minutes. They are so fucking stupid. Just ask her the questions about her judicial philosophy then, if this is really what it's about. But it's not about that for you. You're preemptively invoking identity politics to deflect against accusations of racism when has anyone actually accused you of that? Is anybody saying you can't ask her questions that are serious and tough because she's black? I just, I don't understand why you went on this grandstanding rant. I mean, I do, I get it because you're stupid, but it's just, you think that he'd have some level of self-awareness to where he'd think, I don't need to bring this up, right? Nobody's, nobody's accusing me of racism. Maybe I don't bring this up, but of course he is. Of course he is insufferable now ted cruz is going to chime in by plugging his podcast and by basically complaining that she's not going to be treated as poorly as brett kavanaugh so that's weird but let's listen to what he has to say this will not be the kind of character smear that sadly our democratic colleagues have gotten very good at and it's important to note you know a couple of years ago i was doing my weekly podcast and i was on with a Noted liberal intellectual. No one is going to inquire into your teenage dating habits. No one is going to ask you with mock severity, do you like beer? But that's not to say this hearing should be non-substantive and non-vigorous. I'll tell you what. In the event she's credibly accused of rape, Ted Cruz, and those questions are relevant, I think it'd be a good idea to bring it up. Yeah, but I'll be sure to check out the podcast because who wouldn't want to listen to Ted Cruz talk for an extended period of time? I just feel like if you don't hate Republicans with every fiber of your being, you're not a real American. It's un-American to not hate Republicans. How can you watch that and think these are reasonable people? These are adults. They're serious people. They care about politics. They care about America. How can you watch that and have that be the takeaway? I just, they're so insufferable because they're so stupid. They're so unserious in every single thing that they say and do. Every word that comes out of their mouths is so disingenuous. It's almost intolerable. But yet, this is one of two major political parties in the United States and not a laughing stock. I mean, parties like this with individuals who behave in this fringe way are usually very fringe political parties throughout Europe. I mean, that's starting to change, right? But I mean, this is just the norm. This is conservatives in America. They're that stupid, openly so and proudly so. I just, <laughs> I, I I don't know why I'm, I'm you know, um, pretending or, or insinuating that I'm surprised because this is exactly what I expected and this is only day one. So I expect these uh, confirmation hearings to be a complete shit show. But I, I just, I wanted to give you a little bit of insight into what's happening in case you're not paying close attention because there's a lot going on in the world, right? But this is what we can expect and it's only day one, so it'll only get worse. And yeah, um, 
imagine if judge clarence thomas dies he was um admitted to the hospital with flu-like symptoms so imagine if he dies imagine the confirmation hearings for uh that replacement how big of a shit show that would be this is how they're acting knowing that if she is indeed confirmed conservatives will still have a super majority on the supreme court but imagine a situation where thomas is dead and joe biden is having to nominate his replacement imagine how insane they'd be acting it's it just republicans are just they they're children they are children both in their behavior and level of critical thinking skills i, I just <laughs> So yeah, I'll keep you updated. I don't really plan on following this super closely, but if there is a moment that stands out to me or overt stupidity, I think that instances like that are worth highlighting, but nonetheless, Republicans doing what we expect them to do, acting like complete fucking morons. So last week on the program, we talked about Dave Rubin, a gay conservative who has long maintained that the right is actually more tolerant than the left, contrary to popular belief. But he got a brutal wake-up call when he announced that him and his husband were expecting two children, and his homophobic fans reacted in a predictably disturbing way and attacked him for it. Now, he acknowledged the backlash and responds in the video that we're about to watch, and he has a conversation with his friend and colleague, Glenn Beck, who is going to try to both sides the situation and somehow manage to insult Dave Rubin while trying to appear to be understanding, which is interesting. You then see Dave Rubin be visibly disturbed by that insult and hurt by that, because who wouldn't be? Uh, and then overall, you see Dave Rubin trying to placate his homophobic fans and legitimize their homophobic beliefs. And this whole thing is just so difficult to watch and cringeworthy in a sad way. Nonetheless, we'll watch and then I'll tell you where they go wrong. Spoiler alert, they're basically wrong about everything here, but nonetheless, I do have a lot to say about this when we come back. I get why the right has these, what I would argue are often legitimate fears because the left does not stop eating civilization. Correct. And think about what an unfortunate position that puts us in because then someone like me can make an announcement like this, then good, decent, thoughtful conservatives, some of faith, maybe some of some not of faith, whatever it is, could reach out and say, boy, this, this is what an interesting opportunity and sure it's a little different and, and whatever, all, all the love that, that you and the Blaze guys and everyone else are giving me. And then, and then there's this other part that's legit, which is, uh-oh, if we move the line, they're gonna keep going. And I don't know what the answer to that is. Dave. I honestly don't because that has nothing to do with me and how I'm gonna live my life. I think, and this is why I wanted to have you on because I don't have an answer. I am, you know me, I'm a deeply religious man and my religion says man and a woman, uh, that is the basic building block of family. We are so, we're probably the clearest church on this because it's been in, mm -hmm. our, in our doctrine for 200 years. So we're very clear on that, but that's marriage and relationships and that's what I believe, but I also, um, I also I also know God created you just like he created me, flaws and all. Uh, you know, um, I believe I have a gene, they've never found it, that makes me very susceptible to alcoholism because it runs in my family. So does craziness, but <laughs> it runs in my family. The same thing with things that I don't understand. And if we can't have a conversation about things that 
we don't necessarily understand and probably won't until we get to the other side, we have to just work it out together and be able to say, Dave, I, 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 I disagree or I don't know um, what the answer is, but I love you. The answer is to forcefully and unequivocally condemn homophobic bigotry. This is easy. They act like, man, there's just, there's no way to reconcile this situation. We have these people in our audience who's viciously homophobic, and I'm homophobic myself, me being Glenn Beck, but I don't know what to do because I see you and you're basically a normal human being like me, almost, but yet you're a sinner and what you're doing is evil by simply existing and trying to be happy by having a family with your husband. So I, I don't know what to do. The answer is to stop being a homophobic prick. It's pretty simple, but yet Dave Rubin doesn't say this and he needs to say this. Dave, be a man, stand up for yourself. He says here, I get why the right has these, what I would argue are often legitimate fears because the left does not stop eating civilization. What does that even mean, Dave? What does that even mean? They claimed that when we were fighting for equal rights with respect to marriage, that we were trying to eat civilization. They were claiming that this was just a gateway to marriages between human beings and dogs, between human beings uh, or adults and children. Remember all of that fear-mongering, Dave Rubin? You were on the left at the time when they were making these arguments and you forcefully pushed back against it, rightfully so at the time, but now you're saying that their arguments and fears are legitimate. How? In what way? They don't want you to be happy, Dave. The only way that they accept homosexuality is if you vow to live a life of celibacy. But if you're actually going to try to be happy and have a husband with children, that's where they're going to condemn you because they will never accept it because they are inherently hateful because they're bad people and also that's reinforced by their primitive religious beliefs. So you saying that you understand their legitimate fears isn't helping the situation. You're validating their homophobia, Dave, when you need to tell them to get fucked. If you're a fan of me and you've been watching my show for years, I don't care if you reject my humanity, I don't want you in my audience. That's what a normal person would say to this, but Dave Rubin is a coward and he doesn't respond that way. For me personally, do you want to know how I reacted when my auntie, who I was always pretty close to, called me filth in response to learning that I was a homosexual? I told her to get fucked and I haven't spoken to her since. It's been 10 years now. I won't speak to her, won't go to her funeral. I'm done. And the people who I surround myself with, like my parents, for example, do you want to know how they reacted to that? They defended me. My mom confronted my auntie saying, how dare you speak to my son that way? Because I actually love and respect myself. I'm only going to surround myself with people who love me. And if Dave Rubin had any self-respect, he'd do the same for himself, right? It's not like we're in the 1970s where homosexuality is this thing that's so elusive. This is 2022. We have rights now, Dave. You don't have to grovel at the feet of people begging that they accept you. You can actually make the choice as an adult to push away these people when they don't see your humanity, but he's still choosing to placate them and legitimize their fears, which is so gross to watch. I don't care how much money I'm making. If my audience doesn't accept who I am, if they think that I'm a subhuman piece of filth, I don't think that having that audience, having that money is worth it. 
but I'm a human being with self-respect. And I think that most people would feel that way. But Dave Rubin puts grifting and money above his own self-worth. I mean, do you really want your husband to be exposed to this homophobia? Does he deserve that? Do your children deserve to be in this environment where the conservatives uh, who are your colleagues and friends think that you're immoral? I mean, in that same clip, Glenn Beck literally compared homosexuality to alcoholism, and that was under the guise of trying to be accepting. He said, I know that God created you just like he created me, flaws and all. He's saying, you being homosexual is a flaw. That's so fucked up, and you just accept it. Now, when Glenn Beck said that, you can actually see, they cut to Dave Rubin, you can tell that Dave Rubin was visibly hurt. Because he knows, as a gay man, being gay isn't a flaw, it's not a sin, it's just a part of life. It's in nature, you are who you are, you were born that way. So to say, oh, it's a flaw like alcoholism presupposes that we should treat it like alcoholism. If somebody is an alcoholic, what do you do? You seek out treatment for them. What do you suppose we do for gay people? Well, before we tried to treat them, we tried to do gay conversion therapy, right? And that was sickening. It's banned now in countries because it's comparable to torture. So for them to even speak about it in this way, for Glenn Beck to suppose that he's accepting of his friend, but yet compare homosexuality to an illness, that's still fucked up. And I don't get how Dave still wants to surround himself with these people. Look, if Dave Rubin really cares more about the money, you can turn this into a grift, right? You can say, all right, this is why I left the right now. I thought that they were more tolerant, but they're not. Have this tell-all story, write a book about it, grift in that direction. But for fuck's sake, just have some self-respect, Dave. I don't get how you do this. And it's just sad at this point. It's just sad that he continues to grovel at their feet, begs for their acceptance, uh, you know, asks repeatedly, please accept my humanity. But he knows deep down that they never will. They will never see him as the human being that he is. And that's just sad. Look, even though he's a grifter, even though he made this bed and he's lying in it, I can't not feel bad for him because even if he's a grifter who prioritizes his own career over his humanity, he's still a human being. I know that his feelings were hurt. In that video, you can see his feelings were hurt and that, that hurts me as a gay man, right? He might be a bad person and a piece of shit, not because he's gay, but because he's a grifter, but it's still, you can see that He's in pain right there. You could see that he's genuinely saddened that conservatives are still that openly hateful and bigoted toward him, even if he's tried to be one of the good gays. He's tried for years now to prove he's not like these other gay leftists, but they will never accept it, Dave. The only way they will accept you is if you renounce your homosexuality fully, divorce your husband, and swear to either a vow of celibacy for the rest of your life or try to date women. And you know that that's not possible. So it's either your happiness or them. If I'm Dave Rubin, I don't give a fuck about money. I'm choosing myself. But, you know, this is the life that he chose for himself. And it's genuinely sad. All because you chose to align with these religious grifters. I mean, I don't care what your religious beliefs are. I don't think that somebody who's religious is going to be bigoted because of their religion. I think that they use their religion as a justification, but I think that if you are a bigoted prick, you're going to find some way to justify that bigotry. But the religion is bad in the sense that it gives them 
that veneer of legitimacy. They think, well, God wants me to dislike gay people and hate gay and trans people. Therefore, I am justified in my beliefs. When I see gay people, when I see two men raising children, I think, ew, that's icky. And I have this visceral response. God tells me that that's okay. Well, I don't care. It's 2022. Fuck your primitive religious beliefs. Grow up. Okay. I was once religious myself. I was raised in religion, but guess what? I grew up. I stopped believing in the tooth fairy. I realized that uh, Santa Claus was not real and it was my parents who were eating the cookies. Um, and also, I realized that God is not real and that religion is a primitive thing that human beings by now should have moved on from. We can respect religious people, but we don't have to respect their religion or their religious beliefs. So, you know, this religion here is their excuse to be hateful when it's not an excuse and you shouldn't accept that as an excuse dave and he kind of does he says you know well then some of them they have faith but um then he says i don't know what the answer is dave the answer is simple and you know what the answer is the answer is to forcefully condemn them don't try to placate them don't beat around the bush don't insinuate that their hatred against you is legitimate tell them if they're homophobic they're the ones that's bad people. You're not the bad person, Dave, for trying to start a family. They're the ones who are the bad people. And if you don't tell them, then you can continue to expect this homophobic abuse for the rest of your life. And I, for one, would never want to put up with that. But that's where we're at. It's sad, but um, will he wake up? Will he start to prioritize his own humanity over his career and money? Who knows? But this is just sad at this point, and I, I don't even feel right making fun of him. Yes, he made his bed. This is the life that he chose for himself. But when you see that level of pain on someone's face, I, I just, it just is, it's sad. And there's nothing left to say about this. So I want to check in on the Senate race that's currently taking place in the state of Pennsylvania. It is very fascinating on both sides. So on the GOP side, predictably, you have essentially what is a circus. It features Dr. Oz, which is entertaining in and of itself because he's a clown. But essentially, that GOP primary has devolved into a debate about birtherism. And Dr. Oz has pledged to renounce his Turkish citizenship in the event he wins the primary. And I guess he's a little bit disappointed and surprised that it's come to this, which is weird because it's the GOP and this is what they do. So I don't get why you expect it any different, but it's fascinating. Now, on the Democratic Party side, you actually have some really interesting figures. And when I say figures, I mean, there's one person that's interesting to me, uh, John Fetterman. He's the lieutenant governor and he's the more progressive candidate. He's not a Bernie Sanders per se, but he actually has a message that's resonating with people. He's less rehearsed as a politician. He's more unorthodox. He has tattoos and a personality, and he's currently blowing his competition out of the water. So he's running against Connor Lamb, who is a corporate Democrat who once used to be a really vocal, radical centrist who basically boasted about how moderate he was. And by moderate, I mean right wing. Except he has since had to distance himself from Joe Manchin after trying to be compared to Joe Manchin because Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema single-handedly have tarnished the corporate Democrat brand after obstructing Biden's entire presidency. So Connor Lamb is now left with nothing to brag about, and now he's getting desperate. So in this desperation, he's choosing to go on a kamikaze mission that will inevitably help the GOP. I think his thinking here is that if I can't win, if I'm going to lose, then I at least want the next best person to win. And it's not the Democrat, it's the Republican, because we're talking about Connor Lamb here, so he's a right-winger. So if he sees that John Fetterman is poised to win, 
he's going to do what he can to help the Republican. But simultaneously, as he does their bidding, he's going to deny that he has any involvement because it's his super PAC that's doing these attacks. Not him. Wink, wink. Definitely not coordinating with them. Wink, wink. So um, there's an article about this by Holly Otterbein of Politico, and it is fascinating. She breaks it down. Let's get to that. She writes, a super PAC backing Pennsylvania Senate candidate Connor Lamb is warning prospective donors that he is trailing frontrunner John Fetterman by 30 percentage points in the Democratic primary, and that the public's perception of his opponent's ideology must change for Lamb to have a shot. Primary voters don't see Fetterman as the liberal he is, reads a memo circulated by the pro-Lamb group Penn Progress, which was obtained by Politico. For Connor Lamb to have a path in the primary, this dynamic needs to change. The document highlights the testing of aggressive negative messaging against Fetterman, who is Pennsylvania's lieutenant governor, including that he is a dangerous radical who proudly calls himself a socialist, supports far-left policies like a $34 trillion government takeover of healthcare, and has spoken at the defund the police rallies and wants to release convicted felons back onto our streets. The Fetterman campaign sought to blame any coming onslaught on the Democratic side on Lamb himself rather than an independent super PAC. Connor hasn't been able to gain ground with Democrats, so he's decided to run like a Republican and use Fox News talking points to attack a fellow Democrat, said Fetterman spokesperson Joe Calvello. This is a desperate move from a campaign that hasn't been able to raise the money on its own and hasn't broken through with anyone except for some political insiders. So I love that response from the Fetterman campaign. That's exactly what they should be saying. Uh, you know, conflate him with Fox News, uh, talk about how he's only winning support from insiders, basically the donors of the Democratic Party. And yeah, hit back. Don't just expect these attacks to kind of fall short. I think that a lot of times Democrats, they will just expect to absorb the blows by their opponents and not respond. But no, you need to forcefully push back against these smear attacks because this is what this is. This is a smear campaign. Now, um, there's a couple of things to say about this. First and foremost, it's disingenuous at best, but outright lies at worst. So when it comes to whether or not John Fetterman is a socialist, I wish but he's not. He's never said that he's a socialist. He's a social democrat. So, you know, this is the whole far-left bad attack that we're seeing, albeit from a democrat, Connor Lamb. And he's barely a democrat. He's a democrat in name only. He's a mansion democrat. So he's basically a republican for all intents and, all intents and purposes. Now, he talks about the $34 million government takeover of healthcare. He's referring to Medicare for all because John Fetterman endorsed Bernie Sanders back in 2016. Now, I don't know if John Fetterman is the most vocal advocate for Medicare for all, but we need people in the Senate who support Medicare for all because Medicare for all is good. It's not a radical far left policy if every other developed country has healthcare that is free at the point of service. Do you think that the conservatives in Canada or the Tories in UK would call their healthcare system far left? No, they wouldn't get elected if they attacked it. But yet you have a Democrat calling healthcare far left in the United States. What a fucking moron. It tells you everything that you need to know. He also couldn't say that John Fetterman supports defunding the police and he wants to tie him to that slogan, which is politically unpopular. Uh, so since he couldn't say that because there's no evidence of that. He, uh, I guess, speaks to John Fetterman talking at Black Lives Matter rallies and just says, oh, well, since there are some signs there that say defund the police, he supports defunding the police. And he spoke at defund the police rallies. You mean Black Lives Matter rallies? I mean, you couldn't just say, oh, well, he spoke at Black Lives Matter rallies because 
if you don't believe that Black Lives Matter, then I don't think you're fit to run for any office as a Republican or a Democrat because, of course, Black Lives Matter. So what does he do? He does this racist dog whistle and GOP smear campaign to just say, oh, well, he supports defund the police. Oh, and he also wants to release convicted felons uh, and put them back onto our streets. Some tough on crime fear-mongering that we see from the 90s. Connor Lamb is a Republican. I don't get why he's running as a Democrat, just run as a Republican. Now, I think that a lot of people, they see this and they think, wait a second, this strategy seems kind of contradictory because on one hand, he knows that you can't just outright run as a corporate Democrat anymore because that brand is toxic, hence why Connor Lamb distanced himself from Joe Manchin. But at the same time, he's trying to bring up this far-left attack because he thinks that being far left is bad when what John Fetterman is saying is clearly resonating with the people. So if being a moderate and far left is bad, then what, ideolo what ideology is good? And it's not about ideology. I think that Connor Lamb knows he's going to lose. If you're 30 points behind, it's going to take a miracle to make that up. I mean, it's possible, right? But it's going to be very difficult. So here's what I think he's obviously doing. This is a kamikaze mission. He knows that this attack is going to hurt his campaign because people are going to see this as very disingenuous, especially Democratic Party primary voters in Pennsylvania. But he's trying to help the person who, in his mind, is the next best person. If he can't win, then he'd rather have a Republican than somebody who might be a leftist like John Fetterman. And that really is gross. And again, this is speculation, but I think that his motivations here are pretty clear. What he's doing here, I mean, imagine if a Democrat was running in a primary who was progressive and they tried to do a Republican smear campaign against their opponent. The Democratic Party establishment would come out and denounce that and say, you're trying to help the Republican. But here he is using talking points straight from Fox News and the GOP against the front runner. So what else is he trying to do? I mean, it's not that big of a stretch to think that he wants the Republican to win when ideologically him and a Republican are pretty similar anyway. So, yeah. Now, uh, the response from Connor Lamb's campaign is hilarious because they're basically um, pretending to be outraged that uh, Fetterman's campaign would dare accuse them directly of launching this attack because it's not them. It's the super PAC, obviously. They would have nothing to do with this horrible smear campaign. Quote, Abby Nassif Murphy, Lamb's campaign manager, shot back. This material did not come from our campaign, but the fact that John Fetterman thinks only Fox News Republicans oppose socialism, defunding the police, and banning all private health insurance shows how out of touch he is with reality and why the Republicans are dying to run against him in the fall. So I love that. Oh, we definitely didn't uh, say this. We had nothing to do with this, but here's all the same talking points again. Well, if you had nothing to do with this and you're not coordinating with that super PAC that started the smear campaign, why are you saying the same thing as them? Seems a little bit suspicious, right? Maybe you're breaking the law. Maybe you are coordinating if you're just parroting what they're saying. And I love how the name of the super PAC is Pen Progress when this is basically a right-wing super PAC. It's so Orwellian. It's so Orwellian. Um, it just is so disingenuous. I hate it. Uh, but... Yeah, this is, this is really interesting. Um, it's a desperate attempt, and one thing that I've learned when it comes to attack campaigns is that usually candidates are very reluctant to do attack campaigns against their opponents because that brings them down, and they only resort to attack campaigns 
if they're desperate because it might bring down them in the thinking of voters, but it also sometimes brings down their opponent. This is based on political science studies. So it's a little bit dated. Maybe that's changed over the years, but um, you know, it's a desperate attempt. I don't know that it's going to work. I hope that it doesn't. But Connor Lamb, I, I genuinely don't understand why he'd run as a Democrat when he's functionally a Republican. Just run as a Republican and you can be yourself. Why fake it? I, I mean, I just, I don't get it. Maybe he's not as crazy as Republicans, but when it comes to the economy, you are in lockstep with him. So why pretend? Just be a fucking Republican. I, I don't get it. But um, yeah, really interesting here. Definitely um hypocritical right because again if the democratic party establishment saw a progressive using gop talking points against the corporate democrat they would come out and denounce it and say hey you're helping the republicans but here connor lamb does just that and the establishment we hear nothing from them crickets is the dnc gonna denounce i mean what what's going on here i mean i, I get it. they're supposed to be neutral but we all know that they're, they're not neutral is nancy pelosi or chuck schumer gonna denounce these attacks I mean, of course not, because, you know, what is acceptable for corporate Democrats is never acceptable for progressives. So this is interesting. I'm rooting for John Fetterman. Uh, I don't think that he is, you know, as progressive as Bernie Sanders. But, you know, I think that he's a good candidate. And out of everyone, I'm rooting for him the most. He has the best shot at winning and he's pretty progressive. I think that he would bring some necessary change. So I hope that he wins. But I mean, this smear campaign by Connor Lamb, it's desperate and pathetic, but absolutely predictable for a Republican Democrat like Connor Lamb. So I know that whenever I talk about climate change, the video gets like five views and I get that people feel hopeless and they just choose to tune out. But this is really important and I kind of feel like people should be talking about this, but I doubt you're going to hear much about this story in spite of how huge this is it speaks to how far we've gone and how climate change might be irreversible and how we have to take action now but we're not so i mean even if people don't care i still feel a responsibility to cover stories like this because this is just too important so the uh earth's poles are experiencing a heat wave the likes of which it hasn't seen and this is a very bad sign to say the least. So as Fiona Harvey of The Guardian explains, startling heat waves at both of Earth's poles are causing alarm among climate scientists who have warned the unprecedented events could signal faster and abrupt climate breakdown. Temperatures in Antarctica reached record levels at the weekend, an astonishing 40 degrees Celsius above normal in places. Holy shit. At the same time, weather stations near the North Pole also showed signs of melting with some temperatures 30 degrees Celsius above normal, hitting levels normally attained far later in the year. At this time of year, the Antarctic should be rapidly cooling after its summer, and the Arctic only slowly emerging from its winter as days lengthen. For both poles to show such heating at once is unprecedented. The rapid rise in temperatures at the poles is a warning of disruption in Earth's climate systems. Last year, in the first chapter of a comprehensive review of climate science, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change warned of unprecedented warming signals 
already occurring, resulting in some changes such as polar melt that could rapidly become irreversible. The danger is twofold. Heat waves at the poles are a strong signal of the damage humanity is wreaking on the climate, and the melting could also trigger further cascading changes that will accelerate climate breakdown. As polar sea ice melts, particularly in the Arctic, it reveals dark sea that absorbs more heat than reflective ice, warming the planet further. Much of the Antarctic ice covers land and its melting raises sea levels. Scientists warned that the events unfolding were historic, unprecedented, and dramatic. So I really don't think that scientists could be any clearer here. They're saying the climate is changing fast, it may be irreversible, and yes, it is due to human activity. So either do something or we all die. They're not saying that, but I mean, that's that's kind of the implication, right? If our planet becomes uninhabitable due to irreversible anthropogenic climate change, that's what we can expect. The planet to become uninhabitable for future generations and Congress is doing nothing. Certainly, there are, you know, climate deniers in Congress and the GOP who continuously move the goalpost. But then there's also Democrats like Joe Biden, who has power currently, but isn't doing any anything. I mean, Build Back Better failed. And there was talks at one time of standalone bills with regard to those provisions in Build Back Better, which were cru crucial, one of which was climate change. Where is that? What are we doing? It's like the world is burning in front of us and there's no urgency whatsoever. Congress just pretends as if it's not happening when we get report after report after report that this is happening. And it's not like the people haven't stood up and made their voices clear. Americans care about climate change. People around the world are protesting, demanding action, and it's not happening. World governments just aren't taking it seriously. It's just the situation feels absolutely hopeless. And there was um, there was an old tweet from 2020 that I saw today while browsing Reddit. And um, it's from Caitlin. She writes, I need to get my life together, but I'm kind of waiting to see if the world's going to end before I put any real effort in. And this is really what I felt when reading this article, because it truly just it feels like the situation is hopeless. Why plan for a future that isn't even there? I mean, I saw another article that talked about how fucked my generation is when it comes to retirement. But I mean, is it even worthwhile to plan for retirement when we don't know if we're going to have a future? I mean, we're talking about really grim things here, and I don't want to catastrophize too much. But I'm trying to stress that we have to do something or we're all going to fucking die. Now, one quote from a scientist uh, stood out to me in this article because it was really chilling. Mark Moslin, professor of Earth System Science at University College London said, quote, I and colleagues were shocked by the number and severity of the extreme weather events in 2021, which were unexpected at a warming of 1.2 degrees Celsius. Now we have record temperatures in the Arctic, which for me show we have entered a new extreme phase of climate change much earlier than we had expected. So that's alarming to me because when we talk about uh, what we can expect by 2030, 2050, we've had every indication that those are very conservative estimates and science is inherently conservative. So they're not going to be overly hyperbolic unnecessarily. So they're just going to give you the facts. It's incumbent on lawmakers to act responsibly and prepare for the worst, but hope for the best. But this here shows that, you know, uh, we're entering a new phase of climate change, uh, extreme weather because of climate change. And that's evident, right? They point to examples of the heat wave in the Pacific Northwest in 2021. I live in Oregon and we had our roads 
melt literally because of the extreme heat and it ended up being a mass death event because it was so bad and we're just okay with that and you know it feels like it's gonna get worse and there's gonna be even more signs that the climate is changing rapidly and extreme weather is more common but we're just gonna be like eh you've kind of accepted this fate and we're just we're not even gonna try it's really frustrating and of all topics this one has me the most black pilled because there just is no urgency from lawmakers it's not just in the united states it's also you know the uk it's also europe it's other countries it's just it's nauseating to think about it's sad to think about how there may not be a future for people alive today uh it's sad but that's the reality. So rather than burying our heads in the sand, I'd rather at least give you the details and you can do with this information as you as you must. But at a minimum, there has to be more pressure on government. But I feel like people are just exhausted because, you know, they're kind of fucked over by late stage capitalism. There's a lot going on in the world, COVID, war. And so they just feel like, what's the point? I've accepted it. So maybe I'll take the good out of the looming apocalypse maybe i won't have to worry about retirement or getting my life together as that tweet we talked about demonstrated but i don't think that we should have this mentality i think that if we're going to go down as a species we need to go down swinging so at least when we enter the final stages where our, you know our planet is habitable we can tell ourselves we tried everything but i don't think we've gotten to that point where we've tried everything i don't think that we've exhausted all of our options i think that we still have a chance but we have to fight and time is running out. So I don't know, you know, people don't care about these stories and they get no views, but I care about this. And I'm talking about this because it's really important and I want you to do your part also. Share these stories. You don't have to share the video, but share the article. I'll link to it down below. Just get the word out and don't let people forget about climate change because this is something that is a threat that is increasingly going to affect our daily lives and just pretending like it isn't a thing or it isn't happening now isn't going to help us so continuously talk about climate change raise the salience of this particular issue as much as you can and that's at least the bare minimum of what we can be expected to do as responsible citizens but this is certainly depressing and it's hard to not get down when you see headlines you know about climate change and, and hear about things like this so not much left to say just yeah. So it's only day two of the confirmation hearings for Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, and it's going as you'd expect. The GOP is making it into a complete circus, and they are aggressively pushing this narrative that she wants to indoctrinate the nation into critical race theory. In fact, to be honest, I don't know what their argument is here, but they just want you to think of CRT when you think of kbj in fact this is an actual tweet from the official gop account so this is a gif this is real and they crossed out her initials and they replaced it with crt i don't know what the takeaway is supposed to be if they actually believe that judge jackson is going to force her colleagues in the supreme court to view the constitution or interpret it through the lens of critical race theory maybe that's the argument i don't think it's that sophisticated even i i don't know what this is about it's it's just 
Oh my God, it's so stupid. I, I don't even know what to say. Um, now, to reinforce this narrative, Ted Cruz, uh, Cruz, of course, came in to assist them. So he proceeded to educate her about the fundamentals of a children's book that is supposedly rooted in the CRT legal theory. Take a look. There are portions of this book that, that, that I find really quite remarkable. One portion of the book says babies are taught to be racist or anti-racist. There is no neutrality. Another portion of the book, they recommend to babies confess when being racist. Let me remind you, that is a United States senator and supposedly a grown-up speaking at the confirmation hearing for a potential Supreme Court justice. We live in the dumbest country on the planet, and it's not even close. Now, just to show you how taken aback Judge Jackson was by what he asked, because basically the question that came after that thing that he did there, that political theater, was do you think that this should be taught in schools? Because it is. And she basically was speechless. And I don't know how she respond to his stupidity. I don't know how I would respond to his stupidity. But I think that her reaction really captured the essence of the stupidity there embedded in that performance from Ted Cruz. Now, this is a book that is taught at Georgetown Day School to students in pre-K through second grade. So four through seven years old. Um, do, do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that, that babies are racist? Senator, I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than, that they are victims, that they are oppressors. I don't believe in any of that. But what I will say is that when you asked me whether or not this was taught in schools, critical race theory, my understanding is that critical race theory as an academic theory is taught in law schools. And to the extent that you were asking the question, I understood you to be addressing public schools. Georgetown Day School, just like the religious school that Justice Barrett was on the board of is a private school. And his response to that predictably was, aha, you admit that it was taught at a school. And her answer was basically, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if this book is taught in schools. Is this critical race theory? I mean, I'm against what you're saying critical race theory in this book represents. So I don't know what else you want me to tell you. I don't know what he expects from her, but the goal isn't to actually press her for answers here. It's just to do political theater and convince Americans that she is pushing critical race theory as a Supreme Court justice. It's truly idiotic. And, you know, if you were surprised that Ted Cruz would bring a children's book to this confirmation hearing. Well, uh, I think that's honestly because even though he went to law school and graduated, uh, I think it's because he can't read past a first grade level because that's not the first time that he read a children's book to America. Let's take a look back at what he was doing back in 2013. I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Would you like them here or there? I would not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them. 
Sam, I am. Now, I know that you're thinking that that's probably cringe, and you're right to an extent, but I'm actually just really proud of him that he was able to read that much from a book that complicated, so yeah. Now, what makes this entire situation even dumber than it already is, is the fact that Ted Cruz reportedly got into a confrontation with airport security because he was worried that they would make him late, and he wouldn't be able to show up to these confirmation hearings to then ask completely dumb fucking questions as we just saw. So Reddit user Dyslexia Rules shared this video and the New York Post explains, police were called to step in after a frustrated Senator Ted Cruz reportedly got in an argument with airline staff at a Montana airport over the weekend. Footage posted on Reddit showed Cruz, who was wearing a mask, speaking to two United Airlines staffers at Bozeman Airport on Sunday after he missed the check-in window for his flight. A law enforcement officer had to be called in to help defuse the situation. Scott Humphrey, a deputy director of Bozeman Yellowstone International Airport, told the Daily Mail, the past had missed the check-in window for his flight and rebooking options were limited out of Bozeman due to spring break. The Reddit user who posted the video claimed Cruz was accosting the two airline employees and, quote, wouldn't calm down. It wasn't immediately clear what Cruz said to the airline employees. The Reddit user claimed the senator said something along the lines of, don't you know who I am, and requested to speak to the manager several times. Now, as he went full Karen and literally requested to speak to the manager, when he said, don't you know who I am? Apparently, he followed that by saying uh, his name exactly like this. Me, I'm Ted Cruz, me. <laughs> I'm exasperated. Uh, I, I just, I don't know how to process this stupidity that we see on a daily basis from America. So he treated airline employees like shit. Because, God forbid, he missed the confirmation hearings so he could show up and ask these completely idiotic fucking questions about critical race theory. Jesus Christ. How do you watch this? How do you see Ted Cruz and not think, wow, I'm ashamed to be an American? It's just he is an American. So I don't. I, I, that's not how we are. Like, you want to tell the world, we're not all like this, but I feel like, you know, you, you, you just. It's so demoralizing and you think, oh my God, America is just, we're, we're doomed. This is a United States Senator, folks. And I don't know what it is about Ted Cruz, but he makes me want to bully him. And I, I've never had this instinct before. There are people who I dislike a lot, like Lindsey Graham, but I don't want to bully Lindsey Graham. I want to insult him, to be clear. But when it comes to Ted Cruz, I actually have the urge to just inexplicably push him into a locker and scream in his face and intimidate him. I don't know what it is about him. There's something about his face that just makes me want to bully him. Um, and this is something that I've never felt before. And I think that a lot of Americans probably feel these emotions when they see Ted Cruz speak because he's just that smarmy, that repulsive, that insufferable with every single thing that he does. And every single word that comes out of his mouth is rehearsed. He's so fake and phony. And everything that he does is political theater. He makes a show for the cameras. And yet he still gets elected in one of the most populous states in America. Doesn't that speak to the stupidity of our country? I, I mean, holy shit. So there you have it. I mean, this is about how we'd expect this confirmation process to go because Republicans can't take that um, 
there's going to be somebody new on the Supreme Court, even though that doesn't change the ideological balance. They still have a six to three supermajority, but still the fact that uh, there's somebody else who's a liberal that's going to be on the court is just beyond the pale for them. They can't handle it. So they have to make fools of themselves. They have to act like idiots and pretend as if she supports critical race theory to the extent that she wants to indoctrinate American children into it. Again, I don't know what their argument is, but holy shit, is this fucking making me lose brain cells? And I don't know that I can cover this on a daily basis because we're on day two and already it's almost unbearable. Senator Lindsey Graham has shown time and again that he is incapable of acting like an adult and he always tends to embarrass himself and act the most childish when everyone is watching during these confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominees. And this time it's no different. So on day two of the confirmation hearings for Judge Kentonji Brown Jackson, he made it very clear in a rude and condescending way that she was not his first choice. But he's butthurt that Michelle Childs wasn't the one who was selected and that was his first choice out of the options that Biden was considering choosing. And the reason why is very apparent because Michelle Childs is a more corporate friendly pick a more anti-labor pick compared to Judge Jackson. So he's mad about that. And he's, and he's going to make it very clear that he thinks her being nominated is problematic. Take a look. What is your judicial philosophy? So I have a methodology that I use in my cases in order to ensure that I am uh, ruling impartially and that so your judicial philosophy is to rule impartially. No, my judicial philosophy is to rule impartially and to rule consistent with the limitations on my authority as a judge. And so my methodology actually helps me to do that in every case. So you wouldn't say that you're an activist judge? I would not say that. Okay. <clears throat> so we'll have a 20 minutes more later on, but here's what I would say. That every group that wants to pack the court, that believes this court is a bunch of right-wing nuts that are going to destroy America, that consider the Constitution trash, all wanted you picked. And this is all I can say, is the fact that so many of these left-wing radical groups that would destroy the law as we know it, declared war on Michelle Childs and supported you, is problematic for me. Thank you. I've got a recommendation, Lindsay. How about you shut the fuck up and take the L? Her being confirmed is not going to change the ideological makeup of the Supreme Court. You will still have your 6-3 far-right supermajority. So she's going to vote in the same way that Breyer voted, most likely, and nothing changes. You'll still most likely have your overturning of Roe v. Wade. You'll still have your pro-corporate, anti-labor decisions being handed down time and again. So why do you have to have one more pro-corporate choice? Why do you have to make it known that you're not happy with her? Who cares what you want, Lindsey Graham? Who gives a shit? Nobody cares what you think. Shut the fuck up. He is insufferable. Now, he is really upset because the uh, every group that wants to pack the court and believes the court is a bunch of right-wing nuts that are going to destroy America, that's true, by the way, uh, that consider the Constitution trash, which is true, by the way, uh, they all want you picked. She can't control who supports her. How many Nazis in your state support you, Lindsey Graham? Can you control that? I mean, I wonder why people who are racist and far-right support you, but can you control that? No, of course not. So who cares? Why does she have to denounce people 
I'm assuming that's what he wants who support her. And don't pretend like you also don't like court packing because that's what Republicans effectively did over the course of the last couple of years. Mitch McConnell stole not one but two Supreme Court justices from Democrats. He stole one from Obama, claiming that we don't nominate or confirm Supreme Court justices during election years. And then they confirmed Gorsuch. And then a week before the 2020 election, once RGB died, they confirmed Barrett. So you believe in court packing. You just want to pack it with far-right extremist activist judges. But yet he claims he's against activist judges. No, you support activist judges. You've advocated for them vociferously in front of all of us. So nobody believes what you're saying here. And it's funny that he actually thinks it's absurd to suggest that the far-right supermajority on the Supreme Court is going to destroy America when we might literally witness the return to unsafe, illegal coat hanger abortions in 2022 in America. And we have one Supreme Court justice, Clarence Thomas, whose wife was in bed with insurrectionists. So <laughs> when you have anti-democracy, pro-authoritarian people on the Supreme Court, because I'm assuming Clarence Thomas is ideologically aligned with his fucking wife, obviously, then yeah, they're pretty fucking extreme. So don't pretend to be angry when people call that out. Um, you got what you wanted. So just take the L on this one Supreme Court justice, but he can't do that. Now, the issue of Guantanamo Bay is going to come up and he's going to go on a rant, call for the deaths of people being held indefinitely and illegally at Guantanamo Bay. And then he's going to angrily leave. He, he again, he is a child, but take a look. On the issue of Guantanamo, there are currently 39 Guantanamo detainees remaining. The annual budget for Guantanamo is $540 million per year, which means each of these detainees uh, is being held at the expense of 12 or $13 million per year. If they would be incarcerated at Florence, Colorado, the supermax prison, federal prison, the amount would be dramatically, dramatically less. Since 9-11, nearly 1,000 convicted in the United States on terrorism charges. Since 2009, with the beginning of the Obama administration, the recidivism rate of the Guantanamo detainees released is 5%. So Mr. Chairman, according to the Department, uh, Director of National Intelligence, is 31%. Somebody is wrong here. If you're going to talk about what I said, I'm going to respond to what you said. If we close Gitmo and move them to Colorado, do you support indefinite detention under the law of war for these detainees? I would just say uh, I'm giving the facts. And I the answer make, is no. I want to make sure that it's clear. The 31% you referred to goes back to the year 2009. What does it matter when it goes back to we had them and they got loose and they started killing people? Well, I could just say that uh, if you're one of the people killed in 2005, does it matter to you when we release them? Suggest that a president of your own party released him in. I'm suggesting the system has failed miserably and advocates to change this system like she was in, was was advocating would destroy our ability to protect this country. We're at war. We're not fighting a crime. This is not some passage of time event. As long as they're dangerous, I hope they all die in jail if they're going to go back and kill Americans. It won't bother me one bit if 39 of them die in prison. That's a better outcome than letting them go. And if it costs $500 million to keep them in jail, keep them in jail because they're going to go back to the fight. Look at the friggin' Afghan government. It's made up of former detainees at Gitmo. This whole thing by the left about this war ain't working. 
Let me also note that Larry Thompson, who served as Deputy Attorney General under President George W. Bush, Orrin Kerr, Special Counsel. He is a man-child. I don't know what else to say. And I love how he just denounced the leftists who supposedly think that the Constitution is trash, but yet he's making the case for Guantanamo Bay. Basically, a constitutional free zone. We're holding people there indefinitely. Do you not believe in habeas corpus? Lindsey Graham, I thought that you are a constitutional purist, but yet you're arguing in support of Guantanamo Bay. He's so inconsistent. He's so inconsistent. And yet he thinks that it is absurd to suggest that Americans feel uncomfortable with the fact that we have far-right extremists on the Supreme Court. Well, we feel uncomfortable because most Americans aren't as barbaric as Republicans, even if they vote for Republicans because of other issues and culture war issues. I think that most people disagree with your barbarity as a party. In Lindsey Graham's home state, they just brought back firing squads in 2022. So in this same year... Think about all the things that the GOP has done to prove how ruthless and barbaric they are as a party. In Texas, they're investigating parents with trans children and treating them as child abusers while they simultaneously argue for parental rights when it comes to mask mandates at schools. They're banning freedom of speech in schools under the uh, guise that gays are grooming kids. And if you talk about the fact that some kids have gay parents, apparently you're grooming them. According to today's GOP, women may have to resort to back alley coat hanger abortions again in the year 2022 most conservatives are just against modern medicine in 2022 to the point where they're vocally anti-vax they outright reject science and climate change they reject the teaching of history in schools a sizable chunk of today's gop delusionally thinks that the election was stolen from a senile old racist in 2020 and again in lindsey graham's home state they brought back firing squads in 2022 so we're going backwards. We're getting more barbaric with time when most civilized egalitarian countries are moving forward. And it's not always the case that progress is linear, but we've gone back a lot, largely due to the far-right extremist Republican Party here. Most conservative parties around the world are not this extreme. The Tories in the UK, they're extreme, but they're not this extreme. The conservatives in Canada, they're extreme, but they're not this extreme. Republicans are off the political spectrum. They are absolutely insane and barbaric. And yet Lindsey Graham thinks it's absurd to point that out. I mean, your behavior here, Lindsey Graham, matches your barbaric ideology. Republicans are basically feral at this point. They'd like to take us back to the Stone Ages if they had the ability to do that. They're fucking insane. And, you know, this just... This behavior that we see from him, where you storm off defending Guantanamo Bay, it's just, it shows how out of touch, how insane today's GOP is. So, I mean, uh, I don't know if I expected anything different from Lindsey Graham. I, I certainly didn't, but it's just to see him storm off on day two and work himself into a frenzy for no particular reason, for no good reason. You can disagree with people who are against Guantanamo Bay, but to storm off, I just, I don't understand him. The only thing that I could say about Lindsey Graham is that this man is a fucking child. And anyone who votes for him should be ashamed of themselves. You voted for a man, baby. Congratulations, people of South Carolina. You voted for somebody who's a fucking child. I hope you're happy with this choice of this corporate clown who gets in there and represents corporate America and not you.
Mo Brooks is a Trump sycophant who's running for the United States Senate in the state of Alabama. And the core message of his campaign is basically, I'm the biggest Trump clone in America. I'm the biggest Trump bootlicker vote for me. And that's not really that big of a stretch because he's based his entire identity around loyalty to Donald Trump. So if you went to his Twitter handle prior to today, you'd see endorsed by Trump next to his Twitter handle. That's how proud he was to display the fact that he was endorsed by Donald Trump. He also boasted about being the first GOP member to object to the 2020 election results, saying, I've always stood by President Trump. Now I'm the Trump endorsed U.S. Senate candidate in Alabama. Alabama. He also shared this beautiful image of him and the former president with the caption reading, I'm proud to be endorsed by President Trump for a third time. No, unfortunately for him, he had to change his Twitter handle because Trump rescinded his endorsement today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great. I love seeing this. You love to see it. You base your entire identity around being endorsed by Donald Trump. You make that the sticking point for your campaign, and then Trump rescinds the endorsement, but it gets better. Trump is rescinding the endorsement, claiming that Mo Brooks went woke. <laughs> Imagine thinking Mo Brooks was woke. I mean, the word woke has no meaning at this point. It's basically a synonym for bad, like gay was in the 2000s, or like communism is now by Republicans. But this is, this is just... A beautiful story. So Politico explains former President Donald Trump on Wednesday rescinded his endorsement of Alabama Senate candidate Representative Mo Brooks, citing comments by the House Republican that the results of the 2020 election cannot be overturned. Trump asserted in a statement that Brooks went woke by arguing it was legally impossible for the former president to be reinstated. Trump also criticized Brooks for hiring a new campaign staff who brilliantly convinced him to stop talking about the 2020 election. I am hereby withdrawing my endorsement of Mo Brooks for the Senate, Trump said. I don't think the great people of Alabama will disagree with me. Election fraud must be captured and stopped or we won't have a country anymore. I will be making a new endorsement in the near future. This story makes me so happy. Now I've got to read from Trump's official statement because that first sentence is just pure gold. It reads, Mo Brooks of Alabama made a horrible mistake recently when he went woke and stated referring to the 2020 presidential election scam. Put that behind you. Put that behind you. I love that he's calling him woke. It honestly makes me so much more happier. Him rescinding the endorsement in and of itself is amazing to see, but calling him woke is the cherry on top of this shit Sunday. You love to see it. Um, now, I love that Trump is doing this, even though Mo Brooks has objectively been his biggest sycophant. This proves that you have to undeniably and perpetually buy into Trump's delusions. And if you waver at all, even simply saying, yeah, the election was still stolen, but maybe we should move on a little bit. Nope, not acceptable. Trump's not going to accept that. You absolutely have to buy into his delusions and claim that this is the most important issue in America. It doesn't matter what's happening in Ukraine with Russia, COVID-19, what's that? Um, poverty in the United States states, food and housing and security, doesn't matter. The biggest issue is that Trump had his feelings hurt because he lost in 2020. It was definitely stolen from him. I love this. It's just, it shows how unreasonable Donald Trump is. And regardless of how loyal you are to him, he will stick that knife in your back if you waver at all. And Mo Brooks right now has got to be feeling completely just 
taken aback by this. It's got to be a shock to him because he did everything in theory that you should be doing to prove loyalty, even going so far as to lie about the United States democracy and opt for authoritarianism with Trump remaining in power, even though he did not win. So he did all that. And Trump still rescinds the endorsement. Oh my God, I love this. Now, Mo Brooks actually issued a statement, and now all of a sudden, he's changing his tune about the election and trying to act all high and mighty. So in a lengthy statement Wednesday, Brooks said it was disappointing that just like in 2017, President Trump lets Mitch McConnell manipulate him again. What? A reference to the Senate Republican leader's efforts to oppose Brooks in a Republican Senate primary. I have not changed, Brooks continued, explaining that he is the only proven American first candidate in the race and the only who worked to support Trump's efforts to overturn the election leading up to January 6th. As Brooks has said in recent weeks, he reiterated that there is no legal way to overturn the election now. Brooks also said he has repeatedly advised President Trump that January 6th was the final election contest verdict and that neither the Constitution nor federal law allows him to reverse the results. I've told President Trump the truth, knowing full well that it might cause President Trump to rescind his endorsement, Brooks said, but I took a sworn oath to defend and protect the u.s constitution shut the fuck up i honor my oath this is the way i am i break my sworn oath for no man stop you do not get to all of a sudden pretend to be high and mighty and you know act as if well i care about democracy and the constitution no you tried to overturn the election you aligned with insurrectionists you fucking moron and now you're saying i break my oath for no man you already did that you fucking dipshit now you're just mad that he rescinded the endorsement and you're trying to backpedal a little bit but you don't get to do that you don't get to put the cat back in the bag you aligned with insurrectionists you came out in favor of authoritarianism and against democracy so now you live with that you don't get to change the narrative because donald trump is no longer your ally uh and you know what they say, uh, go woke, go broke. So you have to live with this now, Mo Brooks. You went woke. You decided to go woke by saying maybe we should move on from the 2020 election. And that is woke. That's unacceptable. And yeah, Trump rescinded that endorsement. And I just, I can't get over how much I love this story. I love it so much. I'm wondering if Mo Brooks literally cried when he saw this. Maybe not like ball his eyes out, but you know, there was a single tear that was shed when he saw the news. You know. Like, it was like a punch to the gut, and he just felt nauseous, like, oh my god, how could this happen to me? What has my life come to? I have done everything short of sucking Donald Trump's asshole, and I still get fucked over by him. How could this happen to me? It, it just, oh god, it's so good. It just puts a smile on my face. So, I had to talk about it, because I know you're going to enjoy this news as much as I do, uh, but wow, love it. I hope that Trump rescinds more endorsements. Um, I hope that he continues to screw over his most loyal allies, because... That really is who Donald Trump is, and he's given everyone in politics an indication that he's willing to fuck you over at any time that it becomes convenient for him to do so. So, you know, get in bed with him, make a deal with the devil, and at some point it's going to come back to bite you in the ass, and every time it blows up in your face, I will be here to celebrate because I like seeing shitty people get what they deserve. And Mo Brooks absolutely deserves this. I hope he loses this race. You know, that's not to say that somebody who isn't insane will win the GOP primary. It's going to be some form of Trump sycophant who's delusional and probably somewhat psychopathic. But still, I like seeing this happen to Mo Brooks. Couldn't have happened to a shittier person. I love it. Do Paul Gosar next and Marjorie Greene next, Trump, please. I'm begging you.
In an interview with CNN, Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov basically lied through his teeth throughout the duration of the interview. He lied about the nature of the invasion into Ukraine. He lied about whether or not the Russian government was targeting civilians and, co and committing war crimes in Ukraine. And that's to be expected. But thankfully, the CNN interviewer actually did a fantastic job at not only asking tough questions, but pushing back. And I'll link you to the full interview or part of the interview um most of it what cnn posted on their youtube page uh because it was really fascinating and i i think really insightful uh but there was one portion of this interview that stood out to me because of how chilling it was so the cnn interviewer asked whether or not russia would rule out using nuclear weapons since vladimir putin has hinted that he'd be open to it now multiple times and he refused to rule it out he had two opportunities to state unequivocally that they're taking nuclear weapons off the table, and Dmitry Peskov did not do that. Take a look. Can I quickly ask you, though, I need to ask you this, because the world is afraid, and I want to know whether Putin intends the world to be afraid, of the nuclear option. Would he use it? President Putin intends to, intends to make the world listen to and understand our concerns. We've been trying to convey our concerns to the world to Europe, to the United States, for a couple of decades, but no one would listen to us. And before it is too late, it was a decision to start, to, to launch a special operation, military operation, to get rid of entire Russia that was created next to our borders. What? To get rid of Russia? And anti-Russia, because Ukraine, Actually, Ukraine started to be, it was formed by the Western countries, anti-Russia. Oh, okay. This is the problem. Okay, uh, look, Ukraine is a country, sovereign, it's recognized by the United Nations, it's been around for a very, very long time. But I, I just want to know, I want to ask you again, is President Putin, because again, the Finnish president said to me that when he asked Putin directly about this, because President Putin has laid that card on the table. President Putin said that if anybody tries to stop him, very bad things will happen. And I want to know whether you are convinced or confident that your boss will not use that option. Well, we have a concept of uh, domestic security. And, uh, well, it's public. You can read all the reasons for nuclear uh, arms to be used. So if it is an ex existential threat for our country, then it can be used in accordance with our concept. Well, there are no other reasons uh, that were mentioned in that text. So you are basically saying only an existential threat to your country. Um, I still don't know whether I've got a, a full answer from you, and I just I'm just going to assume that President Putin wants to scare the world and keep the world on tender hooks. That was pure insanity. That was madness. In other words, no, we're not going to take nuclear weapons off the table, and we want the world to know that one man, Vladimir Putin, can unilaterally end all life on Earth. We want you to know that, and we want you to fear for that possibility. It's sick, it's sadistic, it's psychopathic, but that's their strategy. Keep everyone on edge so that way Russia gets what they want out of this illegal war of aggression. It's grotesque. And you'd think that you'd want your opponents to know that 
you never want to use nuclear weapons because of MAD, Mutual Assured Destruction. Because if the United States knows that Russia is going to use nuclear weapons, then they're going to use nuclear weapons. And we all die. That's the nature of MAD. So you'd think they want to make it very clear. Of course, we would never use nuclear weapons. We'd only use it in retaliation if they were used against us. That's not what they said there. They're using this as a strategy. Now, do I think that Vladimir Putin is bluffing to an extent? I do. I do think that he's using this threat of nuclear annihilation to kind of get what he wants. But that's not a theory that I want to test. And certainly any United States official who's warmongering and saber rattling and calling for a no-fly zone, which essentially would lead to a direct confrontation with Russia, World War III, and likely nuclear annihilation, they're, they're so irrational. Putin is insane. I think that he's made that very clear. He's not a rational actor, and the question is, he's suicidal. That's a question that we're all asking ourselves. Would he do the unthinkable? Well, he at least is crazy enough to posture, which in and of itself is insane. But they're saying here, look, if we think that there's an existential threat to Russia, then we'll use nuclear weapons. But what does that mean exactly? What do you characterized as an existential threat because they've consistently moved the goalpost and the former president of russia dmitry medvedev who's an ally of putin has already said well the united states wants to end the russian motherland so if you believe that isn't that an existential threat so are you already saying that we meet the criteria for you using nuclear weapons so let's get to what dmitry medvedev said because it's clear that these people are fucking insane. As Brad Dress of The Hill explains, a close ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin on Wednesday accused the U.S. of seeking the end of our motherland and said escalating tensions could result in a nuclear disaster. Dmitry Medvedev, deputy chairman of Russia's Security Council, who also previously served as the country's president and prime minister, wrote in a post on Russian social networking site VK.com that Russia has been the target of the same mediocre and primitive game since the collapse of the Soviet Union. This means that Russia must be humiliated limited, shaken, divided, and destroyed, Medvedev wrote, saying if Americans succeed in that objective, here is the result, the largest nuclear power with an unstable political regime, weak leadership, a collapsed economy, and the maximum number of nuclear warheads aimed at targets in the U.S. and Europe. Medvedev said the U.S. has constantly waged senseless wars since the end of World War II, citing military action in Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq. He then pinned the blame for tensions between the West and Russia on American aggression. Unlike the American establishment, which wants the end of our motherland, Russia wants to see the United States as a strong and intelligent country and not the last refuge of those who gradually fall into senile insanity, the former Russian president wrote. So what he's basically saying here is that the United States wants to weaken Russia to the point where nuclear weapons are more likely because if you have weak leadership here, if you don't have our leadership, then you might get someone who is crazier, who would actually press that big red button. But we're going to continue to threaten that and talk about the possibility of nuclear warfare as well. It's just insane. And it's ironic that he calls out U.S. imperialism, rightfully so, but then justifies Russian imperialism. How about we just all agree that imperialism is bad full stop, unequivocally so. American imperialism is horrible, but also Russian imperialism is horrible. And it sounds like cry-bullying to me. He's blaming the United States and U.S. aggression for their invasion into Ukraine. You're the ones 
who are the aggressors in this instance. You chose to invade Ukraine. You can withdraw at any moment and end this war right now immediately, but you're not doing that because you chose to do that. Yes, America is an imperialist power, and we have leaders who are warmongers and war criminals who should, who should be behind bars for the rest of their lives. But that doesn't change the fact that you, in this instance, made the decision to invade Ukraine. You did this, and you can end it, but you're not doing that. So yes, America is an imperialist power, and their imperialist wars of aggression should be condemned. But don't condemn imperialism by doing imperialism yourself. That's idiotic. It's like denouncing violence while punching someone in the face. It doesn't make sense. It's a contradiction. And you look foolish. Who falls for this? I mean, in the age of the internet, you can't lie like country used to lie about wars, right? We saw the way that mass media changed the narrative when it, when it came to the Vietnam War. And similarly, you know, in 2022, we all have cameras now. We all have cell phones and we could document not only what's going on, what's really happening, but the war crimes as well. So you can't lie. You can't pee on our legs and say it's raining. We know what's happening. Now, that's not to say that NATO expansionism isn't inherently escalatory, right? I've talked about the U.S. aggression. I've talked before about how the United States government and officials in the U.S. government are just too hawkish. They constantly saber rattle against Russia. I've talked about that prior to all of this. But if you're going to condemn imperialism, for fuck's sake, be consistent. Be consistent. So we have an imperialist denouncing imperialism. It's just truly insane. Now let's try to bring it back to reality because we've been talking about the unthinkable. We've been catastrophizing. But I do want to emphasize that I believe ultimately that Putin is bluffing. I hope that that's the case. But I don't want to test that theory, as I've stated. I don't think that we should push it. I don't think we should escalate. I think we absolutely have to do everything in our power to ensure that there is a diplomatic solution that ends this war of aggression. And there is no, I repeat, no direct confrontation between the United States or NATO and Russia, because that would indeed lead to World War III and most likely nuclear annihilation. And, you know, we hear people like Lindsey Graham in the United States and people in the mainstream media call for aggression and escalation via a no-fly zone or whatnot. But I don't think that the warmongers realize that this isn't like other wars, right? When you call for a war with another country, it's easy to do that because it's out of sight and out of mind. You send young people to die because of your geopolitical interest or your natural resource interest in whatever country. But when it comes to nuclear war and the prospect of nuclear annihilation, no leader can hide behind their power. You don't get to be exempt from nuclear annihilation because you're a president or a senator. Everyone dies. Life on the planet is wiped out. Period. End of story. So this isn't some thing that you can talk about flippantly. This isn't some small thing. World War III would almost certainly lead to nuclear war, which would almost certainly lead to annihilation of the human race. But I hope that that's not going to be the case. And I certainly don't think that you should worry about this because what can you do about this as an individual? There's nothing that you can do. So there's no reason to live in fear of what could happen. Because if we, uh, and this is going to be super doomer, if we somehow don't end up dying because of nuclear uh, annihilation, we'll end up wiping ourselves out with climate change. So, I mean, it seems like the human race is on a suicide speed run currently, 
and we want to go extinct, but I just hope that cooler heads prevail. I hope that there's an end to the war, and I hope that we come together as a species and realize that killing ourselves is not in our best interest. But getting back to the issue at hand with Russia and their constant saber-rattling and threat of nuclear annihilation, it's truly just... It's morally reprehensible for them to even put this on the table and not rule it out, very clearly so. But to hold this over the heads of every human being on the planet, it's just... To say that it's gross is an understatement. It's... It's pure madness. At a press conference today, Joe Biden called on an ABC News reporter, and this reporter, with a straight face, asked the President of the United States if he was too quick to rule out World War III. That is not me being hyperbolic in describing her framing of the question. See for yourself. Cecilia, ABC. There you are. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, sir, you've made it very clear in this conflict that you do not want to see World War III. But is it possible that in expressing that so early that you were too quick to rule out direct military intervention in this war? Could Putin have been emboldened knowing that you are not going to get involved directly in this conflict? No and no. You not believe that. I don't think there's any other way to answer that absurd question and not be rude. What do you even say to that? How do you not just stare at her for like 10 minutes just to get her to maybe hopefully acknowledge, wow, the question that I asked was a little bit insane. Maybe I should be a bit more introspective. Maybe I should think about the things that I ask given how important this position that I have is. I mean, look, she's not an outlier, right? We just talked about last week at a press conference with Jen Psaki, every single question was from the standpoint of why aren't you being more aggressive? Why aren't you escalating? Why aren't you instituting a no-fly zone? Why are you so afraid of the prospect of a direct confrontation with Russia? And only one question from Ryan Grimm was asked in the sense of how do we facilitate a diplomatic solution? How do we end the war? Not how do we make it worse? It's insane. Now, if we're being overly charitable to that reporter here, perhaps she was playing devil's advocate. Perhaps she wasn't necessarily saying that Biden should start World War III, just that maybe he should pretend like he's willing to start World War III. Maybe he should bluff. But even that is still insane if we grant her that. Because do you really want to play chicken with Russia, when combined, the United States and Russia have 90% of the world's nukes. Is that really a game you want to play? I mean, one of these days, I just want Biden or Jen Psaki to respond by saying, do you have a death wish? Do you honestly want all of humanity to go extinct? Do you think that World War III is just going to be some easy breezy thing? Even if it doesn't lead to nuclear annihilation, it's still going to be incredibly catastrophic. But there is a likelihood that if we see World War III, that will result in the use of nuclear weapons, which, which will lead to the end of life on the planet. Do you want to die? Do you want to be wiped out in nuclear holocaust? I mean, I just, I want to know the psychology. What's going through their heads when these reporters ask these insane questions? I just, I don't get it. It's almost like they want to be antagonistic towards Russia because... They want 
something to talk about. They want the sensationalist clickbait story. But guess what? You can't have clickbait. You can't profit off of your news being your business. You can't do shit if you're fucking dead. If humanity goes extinct, all of this goes away. So they have to find some way to think beyond sensationalism. Think beyond headlines. Maybe, you know, if we're also trying to be charitable here, she was trying to get some sort of a headline. She was clickbait farming. I'm not even sure. But to ask that question, I mean, if I had the opportunity to speak to Joe Biden, I don't know what I would ask him. I, I admit that that would be pretty overwhelming because there's countless questions that I'd ask him. But if I limited it to the parameters of this conflict, it would be about what he's doing to ensure this ends diplomatically and not in nuclear annihilation. It would be what he could be doing better in terms of the messaging to the American people, describing why a no-fly zone is not an option because that is tantamount to a declaration of war. There's, there's so much questions to ask, but I absolutely would never ask a question and frame it in the sense that, hey, why are you so weak? Why aren't you doing more? I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Again, she didn't even try to hide it. She said, you've made it very clear in this conflict that you do not want to see World War III, but you don't have to continue that sentence. Just with the but, it tells you everything. There should be no buts there. You've made it very clear in this conflict that you do not want to see World War III. That's the reasonable position. But is it possible in expressing that so early that you were too quick to rule out direct military intervention? Could Putin have been emboldened knowing that you are not going to get directly involved in this conflict? I just, I want to know what benefits do they think this will grant us and grant Ukraine if Russia thinks he should be on even higher alert when it comes to war with the United States? I just, I don't know what goes through these people's heads, but I feel like they're probably not thinking. It's insane. Nobody should want World War III because that would likely lead to nuclear annihilation. Nobody should want to see a direct confrontation between the United States and Russia. Everyone should be trying as hard as they possibly can to advocate for a diplomatic end to this invasion. I shouldn't have to say that, but here we are. The mainstream media is so hawkish, so insane in their saber-rattling and warmongering that it's scary to watch the questions that they ask. It's horrifying to see their coverage of it. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when Brian Williams on MSNBC talked about how beautiful weapons of war was when Trump decided to bomb Syria. So they love war. It's almost like they get off to it. And I don't, I just, I don't get it. And this honestly... It, it it kind of makes me feel speechless because to ask, hey, were you too quick to rule out, to rule out World War Three? Holy shit, no, no, you're never too quick to rule out World War Three. Holy shit, what are you thinking? Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You'll get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.